Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Republicans and conservatives are claiming victory in the rejection of three ballot proposals this week that would have allowed mail-in voting in New York, same-day voter registration, and make changes to the state's redistricting process. Supporters say they wish Democratic elected officials had pushed harder for the measures. More now from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt. State GOP Party Chair Nick Langworthy and other Republican leaders traveled the state in the weeks leading up to the election to speak against the ballot measures. They distributed lawn signs urging a no vote, and the state's conservative party ran television ads. Langworthy, who held 40 news conferences to urge voters to reject the measures, spoke outside the state capitol building, where he said Democrats overreached and voters responded with common sense. All three resoundingly defeated and and it's because people, you know, not just Republicans or conservative voters, people of all party affiliations voted to keep fair and honest elections in this state. Langworthy says in addition to the defeat of the ballot measures, there were significant wins by Republican candidates on Long Island, including for county executive and district attorney in Nassau County and in the district attorney's race in Suffolk County. He says the outcomes are a referendum on the performance of President Joe Biden and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And he says the victories helped set the table for Republican wins in next year's statewide races, including the contest for governor. He likens 2020 to the mid-1990s when GOP candidate George Pataki beat former governor Mario Cuomo. And build the best ticket that our party has run since 1994. And next year we're going to take that building back. And we are going to elect a Republican governor. Government reform groups who back the measures say they are deeply disappointed with the outcome. Sarah Goff is with Common Cause. This is a black eye for democracy and voting rights in New York. Goff says what's puzzling about the defeat is that when surveyed, most voters want to be able to vote by mail. And they also support same-day voter registration, practices that are in effect in many other states. She also believes national political forces influence the vote. Goff says former President Donald Trump's unsubstantiated claims about voter fraud and stolen elections has permeated the nation's culture, even in blue New York. It was very clear that Republicans and conservatives just pulled down the national messaging on this issue, which, again, is misinformation, disinformation. The other side is not playing with facts or reality, nor are they presenting fair arguments about what would have happened if what three and four passed. Democrats who lead the legislature approved the ballot measures. Governor Kathy Hochul was lieutenant governor when they passed. But the governor and legislative leaders did little to promote the measures. Golf with Common Cause says backers of expanded voting will have to do better next time. This is a telling moment for us in that we need to work harder and smarter 
Um, and it's a, an, an unfortunate shared loss. Langworthy says he was also surprised that the Democratic leaders did not advocate more strongly for the measures. And he says perhaps they were silent because they knew they were flawed. The people used common sense and said, these are, these are solutions to problems that don't exist in this state. We're going to reject it. If Democratic lawmakers want to try again to allow the voter expansion and alter the redistricting process, they will have to wait a while. The rules on changing the state's Constitution require approval by two consecutively elected state legislatures, so the measures could not reappear on the ballot again until at least 2023. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartok. Alan, the elections around the country this week. And the New York City major races, as predicted, mm-hmm. Democrat Eric Adams handily defeated Republican Curtis Sliwa. And Alvin Bragg has been elected Manhattan's first black district attorney. The 48-year-old Democrat easily defeated Republican Thomas Keneff to join a wave of progressive reform-minded prosecutors in several big U.S. cities. And he takes office in January. He'll inherit an ongoing investigation of former President Donald Trump. And the question keeps coming up. Will any of these investigations, wherever they are, stop the former president from what seems to be his pursuit of another White House run? Well, he will run, in my opinion, if he can. If he's not in jail or if they don't find something that can put a stop to his rise, he will run again. I think he's made that clear himself. And it does look like he has a shot. Based on this kind of an election, which we just saw, maybe. You know, the Yunkin in Virginia issue shows that there are an awful lot of Republicans who say, I don't want any part of Trump. I'll do what I have to do to keep his people happy, but I'm not going to be in that cheering squad. Because Trump represents the potential end of American democracy. We know that. Do we have a country where people are willing to put up with that? As so many other democracies have gone down. Will we put up with that in this country? Well, I think there are an awful lot of Republicans who are supporting Trump who have signaled yes. Rather than let the increasing black and Hispanic vote uh, determine what's happening in this country, we'll do anything to put a stop to that. Well, let's go out to Buffalo for a minute because you have the Buffalo mayor, Byron Brown, where he mm-hmm. declared victory this week. It was a write-in campaign, and he beat a self-described Democratic Socialist, India Walton, who beat him in the Democratic primary. But, you know, obviously there's a difference between a traditional Democrat and a Democratic Socialist. No question about it. Look, every once in a while, people aren't happy with what they see around them, and they say, okay, I'm going to go off and do something that I haven't traditionally done. I'm going to vote for a different kind of candidate. That's what happened in the primary. That, and something we always refer to, David, you and I, called turnout. How many people come out? You get a primary, and somebody's able to mobilize a group of progressives, for example, so-called progressives that's got quotes around it, and they come out, the other guys don't come out, and the other guys lose the election. Then the other guys scratch their heads and say, hey, this ain't right. We didn't like that. We don't like that. We're not like that. And they turn around, and they elect Brown on a write-in ballot. 
Well, this is something that is part of the democratic system, the voting system, and we saw it happen in Buffalo. So, you know, that's the lesson that everybody has to learn is running for political office. Just make sure your people turn out. One of the ballot questions was on the back of your ballot yeah. this week. Guarantees New Yorkers the constitutional right to clean air, clean water, and a healthful environment. Well, that's wonderful, but there's something that seems to be lacking, and that's the motivation to deal with it, as well as the lack of enforcement that often occurs in states like New York, where there's not enough bodies out there to stop the polluting. Well, yeah. Look, the ballot question seemed pretty simple. You want cleaner air? Yes. Okay, good. How could you vote against that? There are people who said you should vote against it because there'll be lawsuits as a result of that. Now, nah, let the people speak and let the people say, we want clean air and this is a good idea. You can look for all kinds of motivations that just aren't there to vote no on something like that. Now, David, proposition number one, which was turgid, to put it mildly, you know, it was written in legalese. You couldn't understand it. My old doorman, Harry, on 96th Street used to say to me, I just vote no. And that's what happened. People voted no. They didn't understand it. And they voted no. And, David, if you read it really carefully, uh, you get the idea that there are some IPPs in Proposition Number 1. I know I did, and I saw them. IPP stands for Incumbent Protection Plan. And there was some of that in there. And I think New Yorkers are smart. They smelled a rat, and they voted no. Let's talk about the Supreme Court for a minute. Big case sure. out of Rensselaer County, New York, on gun rights. The Supreme Court began hearing arguments this week that could lead to more guns on the streets of New York and Los Angeles, Alan. The case also could threaten restrictions on guns in subways, airports, bars, churches, schools, and other places where people gather. The cases the justices are hearing could dramatically increase the number of people eligible to carry firearms as they go about their daily lives. The case centers on New York's restrictive gun permit law and the right to carry a gun outside the home for self-defense. Well, we know the history of that court, and the court has gone in favor of more guns. And now with the uh, Trump appointees to the Supreme Court, it's probable that you'll see some of the same. I mean, after all, the court didn't have to take, they didn't have to grant cert or certiorari to the uh, case, but they did. And that is troublesome to me. The last thing we need in this country is more guns, that's for sure. The people know it, they say it, and yet this is just happening again and again. It's, to put it mildly, awful. Well, we've been talking about lately the race for governor. In fact, now that uh, mm. Attorney General Tish James has announced she's running, which shakes up what is likely to be a number of candidates running for that office. Mm. The office we haven't been talking about as much is who's going to run for the AG. And Zephyr Teachout, how could you forget that name, says she's interested. She's been making moves. As Yancey Roy, the Albany Bureau Chief for Newsday, and you discussed this week on your Capital Connection program, Another race that's likely to see a number of people vying for an open seat. Well, that's right. Here's where name recognition means a lot. As you have just suggested, who's going to forget the name Zephyr Teachout? <laughs> you don't see many of them. But Attorney General in New York is a huge office. You have a lot of power, number one. And number two, with some regularity, Attorney Generals have been getting into the governorship. And that's why they call it AG, Attorney General, or almost Governor. And therefore, it becomes a very attractive office for people to run for. 
And it is something that will tell us a lot about who's on track to be governor. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Well, nationally and locally, Republicans scored some solid victories in the elections this week. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas takes a look now at some of the results in New York's capital region. Rensselaer County Executive Steve McLaughlin has won a second term, handily defeating Democratic challenger Gwen Wright by about 63 to 34 percent. The former state assemblyman attributes his victory to a good, solid effort. We worked really hard, and I think key to this is we worked as a team, which was good. Uh, And, you know, to anybody that puts her hat in the ring, I certainly applaud that. It's not easy to do, and so for my opponent, she did that, and anybody that's willing to put their name out there uh, deserves credit. Wright issued a statement wishing McLaughlin success, writing in part, quote, a loss is not always a loss. This campaign was an opportunity to learn and build infrastructure to support local candidates. McLaughlin was satisfied with the election results countywide. I think what's real important to me, too, is to make sure that um, that the, the ticket was in good shape, and it seemed to be up and down. You know, we picked up a number of seats throughout the county at the town level, I think we have a pretty good chance, actually, of um, getting the majority on the Troy City Council, but we have to wait and see how the absentees shake out. But it's very close in one of those races. The race for mayor in the city of Rensselaer remains too close to call for the second straight election. Unofficial results put Republican Mayor Mike Stammel at 958 votes, just six votes ahead of Democrat Richard Mooney. With about 200 absentee ballots outstanding, Stammel says the final result likely won't be decided until next week. Mooney said he remains confident he will win. Mooney lost to Stammel in a 2019 special election. Meantime, Republican Peter Crummy has won the race for Colony Town Supervisor, marking a political shift atop the capital region's largest suburb. Crummy received 57 percent of the vote, compared to 42 percent for Democrat Kelly Matija. According to unofficial results, Crummy stepped down as town justice, a post he'd held for more than 20 years to run for supervisor. He spoke with WAMC Tuesday night. I support strong public safety, which includes support for our police, volunteer fire, and our emergency medical services. I also believe we have to uh, ramp up fixing our roads. Uh, And the last thing that I want to focus on uh, right away is lifting our parks, maintaining our parks. Matija thanked supporters Tuesday night. I'm overwhelmed with appreciation 
for the amazing work of my team. And I just hope the entire town will join me in wishing success for Mr. Crummy. Democratic Supervisor Paula Mahan decided not to seek an eighth two-year term in the Albany County town of more than 80,000 people. She did not make an endorsement in the race to succeed her. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Well, not all cities, towns, and villages saw big Republican wins. Now back to full strength, the Schenectady City Council will remain dominated by Democrats after this week's election, and the candidates are pledging to work together after a spirited campaign. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard has more. Schenectady City Government will return to full strength next year, with seven city councilors after Election Day brought the re-election of two incumbents, the defeat of another, and two people to fill remainder of terms vacated earlier this year. All candidates elected Tuesday night are Democrats. City Council President John Mutavaran and Councilor Marion Porterfield held on to their seats, fending off challenges from Republicans Brendan Nally and Kevin Hammer. Councilor Karen Zaluski-Waldzunas, a Democrat who lost the June primary but continued her campaign on the conservative line, lost to Damani Farley. Democrats Carl Williams and Doreen DeToro were elected to fill the seats vacated by former Democratic Council members Ed Kozier and Lisa Perrazzo. Republican candidate Vivian Parsons, Working Families Party candidate Teresa McCallman, and Hylub Samuel, whose name appeared on the conservative line, fell short. There will now be four people of color on the seven-member council. Mutavaran is Guyanese, and Porterfield, Farley, and Williams are black. Williams, an Air Force veteran, said his professional and personal experience will bring a valuable voice to the council. I'm confident that my military background will allow me to remain focused and very in tune with our direction um, that I look forward to receiving from the mayor and then also from the council president, whomever that should be. Williams also touted his MBA and his ability to apply critical thinking to consider additional options. At 31, he is the youngest person elected to the council on Tuesday. But then also using my uh, personal experience um, as a person of color, but then also someone that is younger, someone that is uh, a homeowner, um, new dad, (laughs) with understanding how do we get our younger emerging families fully vested in this community. DeToro, who was also successful Tuesday, won the June primary despite not receiving the endorsement from the city Democratic Committee. That went to Samuel. DeToro campaigned with Zaluski Waldzunas in the run-up to Election Day. DeToro says she plans on working cohesively with everyone on the council. I, I'm not taking anyone's side. Um, I, I, and again, I'll be true to myself. And I'll work with everyone on the council. I'm a team player. I, I always have been, and I, I've said that right along. Um, so I, I, I personally will, will work with, with other council members, the mayor, um, 
you know, to, to for the, the, the growth of our city, the betterment of our city. DeToro, who co-owns a funeral home, said it was her positivity and focus on quality of life issues that resonated with voters. I focused on myself, my campaign, how I ran it. I stayed positive and true, and, 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 and the, the voters... The voters of the city uh, held true to me. Farley, a well-known figure for his community services work in Schenectady, said he tried to remain his authentic self on the campaign trail. He said the benefit of having such a diverse council will be the different lived experiences that will be brought to the table. So what will end up happening, you know, if we approach this the way that I am extremely um, confident that we will, is that we will get to, you know, honor, you know, some of the traditional wisdom that exists on the council but not let it stifle the innovation that is sure to come. Tom Bellick, chair of the Schenectady City Democratic Committee, said the candidates who won all worked hard for it. I'm confident that, you know, they'll, they'll work together. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Lucas Willard. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Well, after major wins for Republicans in the elections around the country this week, Democrats in Washington are focused on action and passing President Biden's Build Back Better package. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus, meanwhile, sat down with New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand this week, and she begins by talking about the negotiations over the bill. I think the bill's in very strong shape. Um, it is intended to really lower costs for working Americans. Um, it addresses problems that families have had paying for childcare, making it more affordable, uh, making sure we get more kids into universal pre-K. Uh, we also address problems people have had affording housing. Uh, it also addresses things like clean air and clean water uh, and making sure that we have money to uh, create resiliency when we get the floods and the other severe weather we've had because of climate change. So the bill is strong. It's a good way to help build back the economy for everybody. And I'm actually optimistic that we are going to get it done in the next few weeks. So not this week, but a few weeks. I'm hoping we get it done before Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, in your conversations with Senator Manchin, what, what does he want? So I've not been talking to Senator Manchin about the larger um, investment in the economy. I've just been speaking to him specifically about paid leave because it's something that he has said he's for, but he has had a lot of questions about what it would look like and uh, what it would cover and how he'd pay for it. And so I've been trying to give him information and guidance about what a universal paid leave plan would look like. We'd want it to cover all workers uh, for all family um, needs, whether it's a new baby or a dying parent or a sick family member. Uh, We'd want it for those family emergencies that we just saw during COVID over the last year and a half. For example, when schools closed or when daycare centers shut down or when a family member got COVID and had to stay home and someone needed to look after them. Those were the kinds of things that we'd really want a national paid leave uh, plan to have to be able to cover. But as we speak here, On Tuesday, it's out of the bill, as far as I understand. 
Yes, it's not in the bill today, but the ink is not yet dry on this bill, and it's not been voted on yet, so there's still time to negotiate. And since Senator Manchin has told me that he will maintain an open mind, and this is something that I know will also get a lot of Americans back to work, it's important. Uh, Also, we saw the pandemic result in 5 million women losing their jobs, uh, 2.5 million still out of work. So we need to get all workers back to work, and one way to do that is to have a robust uh, national paid leave plan. Would you vote on a final package that didn't include it? I would. I think the other investments of affordable daycare and uh, universal pre-K and addressing affordable housing and money for clean air and clean water, especially with the PFOA problems we have in New York um, and the PFAS problems, as well as the flooding we've seen across New York State, we need those resources to help build our communities back. And that's what this bill is all about. How does uh, this federal idea differ from what Governor Hochul did this week, expanding New York State's paid family leave program? So Governor Hochul is uh, following through on her promise to deliver a robust paid leave plan to every worker in New York State. And she's recognizing through this change that families are um, very, very different. Uh, A caregiver may well be your sister or brother. They may be your only family member alive. Um, Your parents may not still be alive. Uh, Your children may not be there or you might not have any. And so having caregivers to look after you when you're sick or very ill um, or, again, to make sure anyone could be a parent, uh, those are important things. And so what she did was expand uh, appropriate caregivers to include your siblings. So if my parents weren't still alive and I became very ill, you know, maybe my sister would be the one who would care for me in my time of need. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus speaking with New York U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2145. Or just listen to our podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at the same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino. <laughs>